Well, good morning, Crossroads. How are we doing today? Nice rainy day. Come on. Are you kidding me? How you doing? Yeah. Wow. 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 I know you got good sleep yesterday. You should have. Got to lounge around all day. It was raining. Kind of cool. Thunder, lightning. Somebody's got house got hit by lightning close to us. Yeah. But anyway. Hey, we're in a message series on the book of Elisha, the character of Elisha. Today is uh, week three, and uh, so far we've uh, killed some cows and burned some plows. Last week we dug some ditches. If you missed either of those, you need to check them out online. Uh, It'll be well worth your time. Our whole goal in this series is for your faith to grow, for my faith to grow, for us to exercise our faith, for our faith as a church to grow. And uh, so today we're going to grab some jars. We're going to grab some jars, and I really pray that this message speaks to everyone. I believe it will. But also, let me say this, that those of you that may be here watching online and you just feel this sense of being overwhelmed, like there's so much going on in your life, like you don't know how you're going to keep going on. You just, you're drained of energy. You're frustrated. You're discouraged. You're depressed. Uh, Listen, today is going to be, I believe, specially meaningful for you. And so some of you, you're struggling with your faith. You're kind of low on faith, if you will, and I'm praying that God's word would really speak to you today where you're at and that you will walk out of here with a whole different light. Some of you, quite honestly, if the truth were known, um, you've lost hope. Some of you are so low where you're at, you've just kind of lost hope. And so today, I believe, is going to be special for you as well. So um, you can just see it in people's eyes, right? Doesn't take long. You can have a conversation with someone. Uh, Somebody feels like they're in a financial hole. They don't see any way out. Um, Good news for you. Stay tuned at the end before we dismiss about something you can do for that. Some of you, listen, your, your marriage is just hanging by a thread. Nobody really knows or you think no one else knows. Some of you, this whole transition with kids are getting ready to go back to school, and some people are really excited about that. Some people aren't really excited about that. Some of your kids are getting ready to go on to college, and you're like, oh, that's going to be new to me. And uh, listen, there's, there's people here. We've got students that their parents have divorced or separated, and those kids you can just see struggling, struggling, struggling. And um, so today's going to be a special, special kind of day. And um, that really tears at my heart that story because I was a product of divorce. I was eight years old and my parents divorced. And you kind of wonder like, what's my world going to look like now? Right? So if you would take out your message outlines, you can follow along, make your own notes. If you choose, fill in the blanks. And um, if you find yourself empty, this is going to be a great day. I believe that. So let's dive into our story. We're going to start with two verses here, and then we're going to just pray that God's word will speak to us. Look at 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's how the story begins. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha. She said, your servant, your servant, my husband is dead. Just take that in for a second. Out of nowhere, her husband dies. Her world is upside down. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor, get this, his creditors are coming to take my two boys as their slaves. 
Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house, Elijah says. And she responds, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. There's a lot packed into these two verses, if you will. The, the first thing you'll notice is we don't even know the poor widow's name. We know that pretty quickly her husband became ill. The best they know, she's probably in her mid-30s. So she's a mother. She's got two sons. She had a husband who made a living, who brought home the bacon, all of that, right? And now he's gone, and she's basically lost everything, and she is in a tough spot. You ever been there? You ever been so low that you're like, it, you just felt overwhelmed from all sides? You don't even know what you're going to do? I don't even know how I'm going to go on. You got to believe that that's where this woman is. And so you picture this widow, widow, widow woman. Say that fast five times. Widow woman. Is it widow or is it widow? Okay, anyway. But she's lost her husband. She's got two sons. And somehow she gets a message that her husband owed money, whether it's a mortgage, however it worked then, right? But the people that her husband and her owed money to her husband can't pay it back now. And so they've already put her on notice. If you don't pay us what your husband owed, we're coming to get your sons and we're going to make them slaves, which was legal then that they would work as slaves until the money could be paid back. Now, would that not rock your world? My husband's gone. Now they're threatening they're going to come and take my two sons. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine the pressure, the emotional struggles that she's going to, and she's in a devastating place, a devastating place. Humanly speaking, I could see where she doesn't have much hope. I was trying to process that. And I'm like, man, I need to remind myself of this every time that I start to deal with life's smaller problems. You ever thought about that? How much we fret, how angry we can get, how anxious we can over what would really be considered life's smaller problems? Like I see people go off at a restaurant. Adults chewing out a waitress because I told you I wanted extra salad dressing. You didn't bring it. I told you no mayonnaise. Look, there's mayonnaise on this. And you'd think it's the end of the world and they're ready to punch somebody in the face. That's life's smaller problems. You ever been there? You know somebody like that in your house? Don't point if they're with you. <laughs> That's life's smaller problems. Can we agree that not all of our problems in life are small though? But we do get many of us stirred up way too much over little problems. But then there's some people here there's some people that you know, maybe you yourself, that these are not small entry-level problems that you've got going on. For some of us in this room or watching online, you've got some graduate-level problems. Your finances are in such a position, you're not sure you're going to keep your house. Your relationship with your spouse is so hanging by a thread that you don't have a clue if it's really going to make it or if your kids and your whole world is going to be flipped upside down. Some of you have adult kids 
that are making decisions that you just scratch your head and you can't hardly believe that someone you raised would make the decisions that they're making and you don't know how to navigate that because they're not listening and you're worried that they're going to make some choices that have lifelong implications and you stay up at night worried about them. I can't even imagine what this woman was processing. How would she sleep at night? My husband just died. I'm in mourning. I'm sad. My whole world's upset. And now I find out they're going to come and get my sons and put them into slavery. I'm going to lose everyone. If you're in a significant place like that today, here's a thought for this message I want to give you. If you're taking notes, you can fill this in. I hope it blesses you because it sure has been a blessing to me. When you don't have what you really want, you will discover that God is what you really need. When you don't have everything you really want, you'll discover that God is what you really need. Often he's our last resort, which he should be our first resort. But I want to unpack this story and see how this story can impact your life and mine. So we've got this young widow mother. She's in significant need. We've already described that, and you kind of get that. She expresses to the prophet Elisha that her husband somehow was connected to, so there was a relationship there, and she asks him a question. First, when she asks or when he asks her a question, I want you to notice what he doesn't say. Because there's some wisdom for us here, those of us that sometimes may shoot your mouth off before you think about what you say. She's in need. She says, my husband has just died, and the creditors are going to come and get my sons and put them into slavery. Here's what he didn't say. Oh, that's a bad problem. Sure sucks to be you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'll be thinking about you. (laughs) You ever told anybody that? Listen, if I come to you and I have the guts and the transparency to say, I'm really going through a problem, it's really a struggle for me, my wife and I, or this is going on or that's going on, please don't say, I'll be thinking about you. If you say, I'll pray for you, I appreciate your prayer because prayer can change everything. If you're thinking about me, I don't really care, quite honestly. If you're thinking about me, do something. Like I'm hurting. (laughs) Well, I'll think about you. Do something if you can. If somebody reaches out to you, there's always exceptions, right? You don't want to enable people or whatever. But somebody comes to you, do something if you can. He makes himself available because look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 2. Elisha replied to her and said, how can I help you? Five words, how can I help you? You want to make a difference in this world? Ask someone, how can I help you? How can I help you? You see a neighbor that's struggling, how can I help you? Church, how can we help you? How can I be a part, right? You want to make a difference. I want to be a conduit for God to use to help people. How can I help you? That's what he says. And when someone at your office says, you know what? I I just got a problem. I've got this migraine. My husband is driving me crazy. Hey, my wife and I are struggling. 
How can I help you? Elisha says something to her that's very profound. He, he respects her dignity and he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? He didn't say, hey, I'm here with all the answers. You got to believe answer man's here. Good thing for you, right? He says, what do you have at your house? In other words, let's start with what you have, which I think is so wise. And she says what? She says, your servant has nothing there at all. I have nothing at my house. How many believe there had to be something in her house? You ever tell, don't ever say all or nothing or never or always, because that's not true. My wife will say, you never do that. I say, yeah, there was one time, remember back in 1989, I did that. <laughs> so that's not a true statement. So don't, always, don't use always or never. But she says, I have nothing. I don't believe that's true. And we're going to find out it wasn't really true. But we get extreme that way, right? You never say that. You always, oh, no, 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 no. I'll tell you when I did. <laughs> but don't we tend to look at all of us have a perspective and we tend to exaggerate and we tend to focus when we're struggling, we tend to focus on what we don't have versus what we do have. We know what we want and we don't have what we want. And so basically I have nothing. I, I, thanks for asking me, what do I have at my house? I have nothing. I don't have a spouse like you have. I don't make the income that you make, right? I don't have the job with the flexibility that you have. <laughs> I've heard of women, not just women, I'm sure it happens to men, I don't know any of them personally, that'll go to big walk-in closets, walk down the whole thing, looking at hundreds and hundreds of outfits, and come out of that closet and say, I have, you know, you've, you've ran into that too. It's like, really? Looks like a lot of stuff you could wear. I mean, you could clothe a small village with this stuff. You really have nothing to wear, but anyway... So let's not bag on this widow woman. She's grieving. She, her sons are going to be taken. Hey, what do you have? What do you have at your house? I have nothing. There's a question on your note sheets. It's kind of a header. What do you do when you don't have much? If you're taking notes, fill this in. When you don't have much, God says, stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Stop waiting for what you want. It can freeze us. We're like, no, I'm not moving. I know what I want and I don't have what I want. And so I'm here. But start working with what you do have. That's where Elisha was going with her. God's going to speak to some of you today and that's going to really stop and stand out to you. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you do have. 2 Kings 4.2, Elisha asks her, what do you have in your house? She says, your servant has nothing there at all, except, now she's starting to think, I have a small jar of olive oil. A small jar of olive oil. That's what I have. That's what is in my entire house is a small jar of olive oil. Now you say, wow, that's not much. But actually, in that day and age, olive oil was a pretty precious thing to have because it had a lot of important uses. You could cook with olive oil, which is a good thing, you could pour, pour that olive oil into a lamp and it would burn and give you some light in your house, which was important. It was used, believe it or not, ladies, as a moisturizer for their skin, to keep their skin moist. You know why? Because they didn't have Bed Bath & Beyond or Bath & Body Works, 
They couldn't just go and buy all this nice smelly stuff. So you're like, hey, I cooked with it and I'm going to rub it on my skin. I'm going to treat my skin so it's soft, right? And it was also used as an offering to God. It had value. It was worth something. So she had a little bit of something that was pretty important. And the good news is she's about to find out that the God whom she serves can do a lot with a little. I think we forget that sometimes as people of faith that our God is notorious for doing big things with little things. We see it in Scripture again and again. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? That was actually 5,000 men. That didn't count women and kids. So they figure it's probably twelve to 15,000 people. Jesus is on a hillside. He's teaching all the people they gathered because they wanted to hear what he had to say. And it became late and people were hungry. And Jesus, the disciples said, Jesus, all these people are hungry. How are you going to feed them? <laughs> How are you going to feed them? Jesus sends them around the crowd to gather all the stuff they could. The only person that came prepared was a little boy who brought a sack of lunch that day with a little bitty small loaves and a couple tiny fish. The little boy said, here's what I have. And the disciples gathered it up and they put it in a basket and they began to pass it out. And every time they'd pass it out, they had more and more baskets full until everybody in the crowd was fed and there were 12 baskets left over. <laughs> That's the same God. Right? That's my God. If you're a believer, that's your God. He can do little with a little bit of faith. And so he says, what do you have in your house? What's there? He noticed he didn't say, what do you want? He didn't say, what do you need? He says, what do you have? That's a whole different deal, isn't it? I'm great at telling God, here's what I need, here's what I want. What if we stopped waiting for what we wanted and we started working with what we have? Boy, I wish I could sing like those people were singing today. You can't. Work with what you have. They can't do what you can do. You say, I don't even know what it is. You need to figure it out. You need to start doing something, right? <laughs> we learned this principle. I've learned this principle so many times. You'd think I'd have this down, but I still struggle at times. For those of you, I mean, I, I can't give you our whole history as a church, but we started very, very small, like six people small. And that was me and my wife and my daughter and three other people in a small little building in a small town. My like, God, we need a bigger building. He's like, you got plenty of room in this little building, right? Fast forward seven years. We were starting to get the building more and more. And then we're like, hey, what if we had a hundred people? We couldn't put a hundred people in that little place we were meeting. So out in faith, we reached out, we rented the community center in Hudson, said, we're going to shoot for 100 people on Easter Sunday. That would have blown out the water, anything we'd ever done. And you know what? We had over 100 people, barely over 100. And you know what my thought was that next week? What if they all came back like we invited them back and we go back to our small building? We couldn't even get them all in. So we said, hey, can we rent it again next week? And then pretty soon they said, hey, we've got other things booked. You can't do it. So we made an agreement to go to the elementary school in Hudson. We moved into their cafeteria we, we moved in with a lot of empty chairs, but we'd only set up the number of chairs we thought we need, right? And then we started setting up extra chairs. We had more room. Let's do that. Let's pray. Let's pray for new people every week. And we would fervently pray every week, God, send us more people. 
Not people from another church, that's just swelling. We're talking about people that don't know you, people that have been turned off by you, people that have been turned off by church, people that couldn't understand. And God filled up that cafeteria. Then we get kicked, then we moved to the gym to have more people. Then we got kicked out of that school. There was nowhere in Hudson for us to go, so we moved Adrian to the Hope Community Center, moved into their gym. And pretty soon we outgrew that place. Then we went to the Christian Family Center. 550 seats. If every man, woman, boy, and girl came when I took our leaders there, I said, we won't even fill up the front three sections, but God's not sending us here just for us. He wants us to reach more people. Fast forward a couple years, we filled that place up. We went to a second service. Fast forward a couple more years, we filled that place up. Again, we went to a third service. They changed directions. We changed directions. We went to the Adrian High School, a bigger auditorium yet. And God opened the doors for here. And we're like, huh? And then here we are. And then COVID happens. Now all of a sudden, here we are. But you know what? Why we exist still matters. There's people that you know and I know that are outside of this church, that are in your family, your workplace, that don't know Christ. And we're still about the same business. But we know about starting small. Your applause is underwhelming. <laughs> you see, God wants to use you and me and us together to continue his work. And when all of us get on the playing field and all of us use our time and our talent and what we have, God blesses that. So stay tuned. God has given us everything we need. Get this, this isn't on your notes, but God has given you everything you need and me everything I need to do what he wants us to do. I don't know how this will speak to you, but some of you are going to look at that and you're going to say, wow, I wish I had something else. I wish I had something more significant to offer God. I wish I was more talented. Stop waiting for what you want and start using what you have. He who is faithful with little, God says, gets more. Why would God give some of us more if we're not even using what we have to bring honor and glory to him? I've heard husbands say, well, I'm not a very good provider. I don't make all the money that so-and-so might make or my friends make, and we don't live in that kind of a house or drive that sort of thing. And you know, I'll say, but you know what you have that they don't have? They're never home. That husband that makes that money travels all the time. He sees his kids one or two nights a week. You're home every night of the week. What could you do? Trust me, your kids are never going to wake up one day and say, boy, Dad, I wish you spent more time away. They're going to wake up one day and they're going to say, Dad, I wish we'd had more time together. I wish you would have impacted my life more than you did. I wish we'd have spent more quality time together. Guys, the most important thing you can do is to model what it means to be a man of God, to have your priorities in order, for your kids to see you read your word, read God's word every day, to see how consistent you are with God's church, to see how you use your time and your talent and your treasure. You're, the, you're not a different person at church than you are at home. They see consistency there, and they see someone that models what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. That's the best thing you can do. I don't care how much money you make. You'll never outpay that. You never will. So stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. Here's the second thought. If you're taking notes, 
Offer God what we have and trust him to give us what we need. (laughs) Offer God what you have and trust him to give you what you need. God says he'll meet all our needs. He doesn't say he'll meet all our wants. Watch this in 2 Kings verse 3 through 7. Elisha says, go around. Here's telling this widow woman, what do you have? Only thing I have nothing. Then she changes it and says, well, I do have a little jar of olive oil. And here's what he tells her. I love this. Go get some empty jars. Go find these. (laughs) Go around your community. Go to your neighbors. Knock on the door. Say, do you have any empty jars? And you start collecting these. Go get them. And notice what he says. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. They haven't been picked up yet. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each one is filled, put it aside. Visualize this. This is crazy to me. All she has is a little bit of olive oil. So I'm sure when he said, hey, go collect some jars, she didn't know what it's all about. And then he said, and start filling up those jars. And when one fills up, switch to the next, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next, and just fill up those jars. You keep on pouring. Put each one to the side when you fill it up. Now, I don't know if some of you may not know this probably about me, but um, for years, and I guess technically I am, but I haven't done this for years, but I did magic and I did, I was a professional clown and um, traveled all over, did clowning, did birthday parties, did big company corporate parties and all that. And I also did magic with that. And one of the the magic things that I used to do is I had this little tin bowl and I would pour whatever in it, water, whatever, and I'd pour it out and you could see that it's poured out. And then I'd sit, we'd talk or whatever, and I'd pour it again. There's every time I do it, there's more stuff to pour. Freak people out. It's like, how in the world do you do that? This wasn't a magic trick, but that's exactly what happened to this poor widow woman. She collected all these jars. Elisha knew what he was going to pray and what was about to happen, and she does this. And, and look at verse 5. She left him. She shut the door behind her, right? So she, she went out. She did the thing. She collected them. Then they brought the jars to her, and as they kept bringing her jars, her sons, the Bible says she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, we don't know how many collected, different shapes, different sizes, all kinds of jars, she'd say, bring me another one. And finally, her son replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. We don't know how many dozens of jars she filled up from her little jar of oil, but it filled container after container after container. And as long as there was an empty jar, God filled it up. And when there were no more jars, the oil stopped flowing. Not a magic trick. God's provision. And she went and told the man of God. She went and told Elisha. Here's the good news. She told him, hey, here's what happened. I've got all these jars now full of oil. And he says, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons then can live on what's left. God made provision for her dead husband and her sons didn't have to go into slavery because of what the prophet Elisha did between him and God and some empty jars and some olive oil. Remember again, it was valuable. When we put our faith in him, he can do much with little, more than you could ever think or imagine. Stop waiting for what you want and start using what you have. Some of you here, though, are wired like me. 
And my human nature says, no way. (laughs) There's no way God can do that in my life because let me tell you about my story. Let me tell you the resources I don't have. Let me tell you where I'm at. You know what, God? I'll bring some empty jars. You fill them up and then I'll go. That's not the way it worked. He said, you go collect the jars. Don't you know when they're collecting jars, they're like, oh my gosh. I don't know what he expects to do with these, but I don't even, I've got one jar. What's he going to do with a bunch of empty jars? God, you give me a bunch of full jars that are worth valuable money and I'll go sell them. I'll do that. I get that mindset. But can I tell you, as I look back, because I get trapped in those same veins of thinking, and then I look back over almost 35 years of what God has done at this church, what God has done through ordinary people, what God has done. I can remember getting, seeing the headline. That's how it was. We got the news of getting kicked out of school in Hudson. Hudson School Board asked church to vacate premises. Huh? They didn't even tell us. And my first thing was to panic. My first thing, we were just getting ready to have a meeting, an annual celebration meeting. We're within 15 minutes of me standing up and telling people, here's what's going on. And now I just got delivered this. I grabbed our leaders, a few handful of leaders we had, went into a broom closet, no joke. We prayed and I said, guys, here's what I was just handed. And I know how I want to respond, but let me tell you what, it's not about us, it's about God. God's been kicked out of school before. It's not about us, it's about him. But let me tell you, God will provide. I don't know how. I'd be a liar if I told you. But I'm gonna trust and we need to pray and trust that God has a bigger plan. Did I know what it was? No. Did I know the Hope Center would open their door? No. Did I know that it would be easy to move a church of 150 or 200 people to, from Hudson to Adrian, 17 miles? Who's going? Who's following? Some people won't walk across the street to go to church. But God provided God provided. It always starts when we offer him what we have. Can I tell you something about God and about you? He knows what you have and he knows what you don't have. He knows what talents and abilities you have and he knows what you don't have. You know why? Because he gave them to you. And can I tell you, he didn't make any junk and he didn't make any mistakes. I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. No, you don't. You need to be you. You know why? Because no one else is like you. No one has the talent, the time, or the treasure God's put in your hand. And no one else is going to be accountable for your stuff except you. You're not going to stand up one day and God's going to say, why didn't you sing like Monique? He's never going to ask you that. He's going to say, why didn't you serve me with what I gave you to serve? The only requirement that Elisha put on this woman is that the jars she collected had to be empty. God wants empty vessels. God wants us that feel empty just come to him and say, God, I'm empty. God, what can you do with an empty vessel? God, my hands, I'm not coming to you with full hands. I'm dropping everything and I'm putting it at your feet and I'm saying, God, if you can do something with me, I want to be a part of it. How does it apply to you? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have treasures. We have this treasure, which is Christ. He's talking about believers, followers. 
You know what we have? Do you realize if you know Christ personally, he's your Savior and Lord, you have a treasure living in you? It's Christ. But you know, he says we have this treasure which is Christ in what? In jars of clay. You know what he's referring to? Not a jar of clay. He's f f focused on your body and mine because we were made from dirt, dust, right? We were handcrafted. So he's saying, listen, you're the jar of clay. You and I are jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. God is looking for empty jars. We've got to empty ourselves of self and say, God, I'm committed to being used for your honor and for your glory. Not about just me and making a living and getting all the stuff I want and doing all the stuff I want to do. I want to do and live out why you put me here in the first place. When you realize that you don't have everything that you want or need, you're going to figure out that God's what you truly need. You see, when we're weak, he's strong. That's what the Bible says. You say, I feel weak. Good, you're in a great position. When you're hurting, you know what God says about his people? That I'll be your comforter when you're hurting. When you're lost, guess what? I'll be your guide. When you're hungry, I'll feed you. When you're thirsty, I'll be your living water. When you're unstable, I'll be your rock. Offer God what you have and trust him to give you what you need. Some of you came in this building today or you tuned in online and if the truth were known, you are empty. You're empty. You're lacking. You're struggling. You're going to look to him today. You're going to make a commitment to seek him first every day. Make him a priority every week. Spend time with him that maybe you've never done it or it's been a long time that you did it consistently. And when you do that, you're on track to have everything that you need. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Offer God what you have. God never asks for what you don't have. He wants us to trust him with what we do do have because if all we muster up is what we can see with our eyes and make with our hands and earn and we do it our way it's never never gonna do all that god wants to do through you he's looking for empty vessels that'll pour ourselves out to let him fill us up would you bow your heads with me Father, speak to us today. I pray that you have and that you would give us courage to live by faith. And God, that can be so difficult because we live in a world that is all about sight. If I don't see it, I don't believe it. If that's not here, then I don't believe it can come. I look at my situation, I analyze my situation, God, and I don't see a way. What I've just described, God, is your perfect recipe to bring honor and glory to yourself.
you say, God, with you, all things are possible. Without faith, it's impossible, you say, God, to please you because the Christian life is a faith. If we only do what we can see and what we can muster up, God, we're missing out on so much. But God, I know that there's a lot of people that um, are listening that will say, yeah, but you don't know my situation. You're right, I don't, but God does. I'm telling you the same God that worked in those ways will work in your life and mine if we'll empty ourselves of us. (laughs) And many of us, if the truth were known, we're pretty darn proud of how we've turned out. We're pretty darn proud of what we've accomplished. But if you're not an empty vessel asking for God to work through you to do his work, you're just doing your work. And that may be fine and dandy for this world that we're currently living in. It won't be fine for all eternity because you were made on purpose with a purpose and for a purpose. Not just to make a living and die or make a good living and put your kids through college and see how well they do. God wants us to make an eternal difference. And he's only given us so much time, so much talent, so much treasure to get it done. For his honor and for his glory. I pray you take a step and do that. Be tenacious. How do you get involved? How can I use what I have? Jump onto the playing field. It's a decision you'll never regret. With our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, let me say some of you, your next step is to give your life to Christ. If the truth were known, You may have it all going on the outside where people are fooled, but you know deep down there's something missing. Listen, if you've never personally received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, He's your greatest need as well as your greatest opportunity. You see, you can go through life and everybody thinks it's wonderful, but if you die without Jesus, by your own choosing, you'll be separated from God for all of eternity. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you problem is you're not perfect which means you can't get to heaven on your own you can't perform well enough you can't give enough money you can't serve enough you can't do good enough heaven requires perfection there was only one who ever lived perfect and his name was jesus who came as a human being lived was tempted with all the things that you and i are but he never fell to that one time they crucified him on a cross He shed his blood because sin has to have a death occur and a blood sacrifice. And he sacrificed his blood and his own life for us. Once and for all, whoever will trust in him, put their faith in him, turn from their way of life and invite him as Savior and Lord of your life. He'll come in, take up residence in you, his presence in spirit form. He'll give you what you need to become the person he created you to be. And he wants to use you to impact others. You miss that. You miss the reason you were created. If that's you today, as a free gift, God will forgive you of all you've done wrong. He'll adopt you into his family. 
He'll make you his child, never to be unadopted. And he wants to use you the rest of your life for his honor and for his glory. Wherever you work, whatever you do, and whenever you die, you take your last breath, you'll instantly go into his presence. Why? Because you're good? No, because you've received the only one who is ever perfect. Jesus is your savior. If that's you today, make this your prayer. Say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me, change me, make me new. I believe, Jesus, you died in my place so I could live. God, for the rest of my days, as your child, I want to live for you. Use what you put in my hands for you. Use my time and my talent for you. Help me never to be content to sit on the sidelines another day. But use me. I'm your vessel. I say thanks. Give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory because you deserve it. In your name, amen.